Podcasting right before the Legion Studios where all brave words go. And we bring you to finish off their souls. This is delivered using the heaviest microphone of all, located in Brooklyn, New York, the unofficial center of the country. This is Vinnie Maletti, partner and founder of Maletti Law, the self proclaimed most Jack Deterrent NYC, nay, most Jack Deterrent NYC, not only self proclaimed, but also proven. This is Vinnie Maletti, and it's the Maletti Law Podcast. Here we bring to you the evolution of law, current events, stories of the unusually motivated, and answering all the questions and concerns to legal services, business needs, and general day-to-day legal issues, and also drama out there in the world. The date today is Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. It is officially day 312 of the never-ending state of emergency in New York City. Um, by executive order that was set on March 7th, 2020. And this looks like it's never-ending, so let's bring it up to begin. Make sure you sign up to my subscriber list so you can get all of our updates new videos, new blogs, legal advice, and other freebies that the rest of my cheap-ass, money-hungry profession won't give you because here at Maletti Law, we really, really, really take a serious focus on marketing and getting stuff out there and getting stuff in your hands. Totally unrelated to law and legal, but totally cool in the process. Well, you know, because like at the end of the day, what makes a great lawyer is a fantastic suit and a fantastic design in the courtroom. So let's continue on, shall we? So I've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, I like to start this podcast by just pointing out some of the new cool things that we have going on um, as a company, as a brand. Um, me and uh, my cousin, uh, Nick Schumann, works with me. Uh, I mean, we've been tired. He, the poor kid, I've sent him on mission after mission after mission to find cool, like um, promoting uh, marketing stuff, promotional material, like branded material. Uh, we got some pretty cool wristbands coming in um, that kind of like, have like a pretty aggressive font, you know, unusually motivated, Malay Law, heaviest lift in law. You know, we got a couple of wristbands coming out. The wristbands are really cool. I'm taking these headphones out because they're just distracting me. I don't know why I keep trying every time to put these things in. It never makes my life any easier. Um, and also, I am kind of dreading, I'm looking at the audio tab here. <laughs> it's not really coming up very high. So I really, really, really hope that this actually works perfectly and it is not a disaster let me just check this one more time oh well there we go this should be let me see oh here it is now we're better got it all right sorry team okay still getting oh now i see it go up all right so i think so the microphone was pointed the wrong way okay so whatever let's get down to it shall we so all right part one got a lot of stuff coming out right we got some wristbands coming out um, wristbands have the branding on it, the muscle bros, um, unusually motivated, got a lot of pens coming out. Um, the pens are really cool. The pens, they have, um, uh, they have levels on them, they have screwdrivers, flatted and, um, flathead slotted and also Phillips. They're stylist. They're really cool pens, refillable. I mean, really cool things we're working on. We're getting them to you. Uh, we will have them shortly. Um, this way so we can hand them out as we go along. We're also working on shirts. We have a couple of, um, Articles, a couple of like branded clothing we got going out there. We have stringers, t-shirts. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure how many lawyers wear stringers and t-shirts, but you know, stringers are pretty cool. Um, the out the shirts will have things like the American flag on it, things like the logo, the branded material. So it's really cool. So you'd be really enjoy that. I can't wait to bring those to you. Um, I think at least with that right now, we're currently working out like it's it's becoming very difficult because we get a lot of we were trying to get products from overseas from China through Alibaba. But I mean, the tariffs on those things have just been wildly psychotic. Um, Trump 
pump show no mercy on those people. So we had to wind up going, finding other alternatives. We happened to find something local. So hopefully it works out. Another final thing is, so last podcast, I had introduced to um, fake fake mask USA. Their website is fakemaskusa.com. That's F-A-K-E-M-A-S-K-U-S-A.com. It's over here on the screen so you can see it yourself. So this company obviously is taking the face mask to absurdity. They have produced this legally compliant mask because in New York, I can't remember the section off the top of my head. Um, I probably should with how many times I, I want to say section 66.10NYCRR66.3. 10, 10 if you go to my website and you go to the policy section, you'll see it. So actually, I'll show you here. So we're going to go on our website right now. MiladiLaw.com. I'll show it up. So it's MiladiLaw.com. If you look to the right, you see policies and legal. It should be here. Yeah, here we go. So you'll see a section that says 10 NYC RR section 66-3. These are the rules from COVID for the Health Department of New York. Um, as you see, as you'll see, these are totally legally compliant. They're designed to be um, absurdity. It's basically like lace underwear is basically wearing your face. Pretty funny. Pretty interesting because the whole thing is absurd. So why not make something absurd about it? I still don't wear a mask, but if you're going to wear a mask and you want to point out the absurdity, this is a fantastic company. Um, we actually convinced them <laughs> and they were down for it. They, I guess they just needed to see enough. I mean, these things went uh, going crazy in Brooklyn. People in Brooklyn love this stuff. Um, you have a coupon code. If you get on their mailing list, you give them your website, you get on the mailing list, they'll give you um, a coupon code called Govern This, G-O-V-E-R-N-T-H-I-S. You punch in the coupon code, you get 10% off. Um, obviously, the more masks you buy, the cheaper they are. They range in price from $8.99 to $4.99 a piece, depending on how many you buy. So it's, it's a it's a great gift. Um, here at Melody Law, I plan on getting 55 million of them <laughs> and, and handing them out with business cards uh, directly behind people from the Department of Health. They the newer model was a little bit thicker than the older model. Um, the original model, <laughs> this status, uh, this guy's an idiot. Um, I got Cuomo on in the background. Um, the newer model was is a little bit uh, thicker than the older model. The older model was more um porous. I mean, more absurd. So, but they're pushing back. They're getting nice absurd items once again, which I'm very excited about. Okay, so let's get down into it. So, obviously, a lot of things are going on in the news lately. Um, you know, you're seeing. Uh, you're seeing Twitter and Facebook uh, essentially censoring free speech. You're seeing Google just essentially come out and block everything. Um, search engines are coming back with nothing on Google. You see people trying to come up with alternatives like Paula was supposed to be some kind of like alternative to Facebook or Twitter, whatever the case is. I guess I think it was supposed to be an alternative to Twitter. Um, the, the service providers decided to take them down. I'm not offering them on their platform. Now they need to find another platform. So, you know, a lot of this comes out. So, you know, the debate that happens on and off is this concept of free speech, right? So the, whether a private company has a right to ban free speech, whether this even constitutes free protected speech and to begin with. Um, I mean, there was some there was some issues going back and forth. So, for instance, you know, Twitter had made a comment. If you look on my webpage, you could actually see the blog, um, the Unusually Motivated blog. This was the one we just uploaded uh, January 11, 2021. The title is Mavetti Law to Zuck and Dorsey, Don't Tread on My First Amendment, Bro. And it's a fantastic picture of, 
your, uh, you know, your haunt, <laughs> your, uh, what do you call it? Your fearless leader, Vinnie Maletti, who apparently uses <laughs> Photoshop like a two-year-old. <laughs> I photoshopped a picture of my face slapping Zuckerberg. Very autistic, very great. But there's my logo, so it's cool. And that's also a custom font also as well. I paid for that. That's my custom font. That's the Vinnie Maletti font. So let's be real. So let's recognize that. Okay, so let's talk about it. So where's, what happened here, right? So I guess... They want to, they, you know, there's, there's, I mean, look, the reality is whether you want to admit it or not for the past couple of years now, I mean, there's just been really this real aggressive push to, I think just collectively to get against the president. I mean, they, they hated pump from day one pump was never supposed to win. I mean, honestly, I thought Ted Cruz was going to win the nod back in 2016. I can't imagine. I couldn't believe that, you know, pump won it. So, you know, he was never designed. He was never supposed to win. He's always been a thorn in people's sides. I mean, simply because the guy doesn't give a shit. He's never given a shit. I, I mean, I, if you go to YouTube, you type in a video of how he treats world leaders. It's actually quite funny. I mean, I think he, he had a moment where he went to the G, I think the G20, and you see him pushing through like Merkel from Germany and some other guy. And like he pushes them like this. And then he comes out, he pops his collar, you know, and he walks through. I think the guy, whatever, hate him or love him. I mean, he's a character, right? His biggest thing is the Trump brand. That's what he does. He markets the Trump brand and he markets it like a savage. Whether or not he's the greatest president in the world, meh, I guess it depends on your political party because apparently if you're a registered Republican, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. If you're a Democrat, you want to leave the country. I don't know. It's, just, it's the same stupid shit. But back to the point. So here he has this, um, here he has this commentary. Now you have the riots going on in the Capitol. Um, Twitter comes out. They ban Pump's page on Twitter and his feed saying that due to the risk of further incitement to violence, we have to cut off his feeds. Facebook the day before did the same thing. Um, Zuck came out and mentioned something like, you know, we believe that the risk of allowing the president to continue to use our platform during this time is too great. Um, you know, risk of more damage, whatever the case is. I don't know what he said. Um, I don't recall anything that he said being nuts. Um, he mentioned he said the word bullshit publicly and the crowd went wild to it, but I don't think he incited violence. I don't know. Everything's been pulled off the internet, so I can't tell. But I don't know what it was. I certainly have seen worse online, <laughs> you know, but whatever. Trump was the point that they hated. So lawmakers kind of like responded, depending on what side of the fence you were on. If you were a Republican, this is an outrage. And Republicans have responded uh, primarily through Lindsey Graham, Nisty. Lindsey Graham, I think he's a South Carolina senator or something. So Lindsey Graham Nisty said, uh, he came out with a comment, a couple of tweets, big tech are the only companies that have virtually absolute immunity from being sued. It's time for Congress to repeal Section 230, put big tech on the same legal footing. So they point to, so I don't know what the defense for Twitter and Facebook said, but Lindsey Graham Nisty and the rest of the lawmakers suggested that this gave rise to a Section 230 question. So you look at Section 230, see what Section 230 is, right? So Section 230 um, falls under the Community, the Communications Decency Act, the CDA, the Communications Decency Act, the CDA. This was enacted in 1996. Um, it was originally enacted to counter child porn. There has been a tremendous amount of, um, of legislation in this country to protect children from the advancement of porn and obscene images throughout the internet. Um, the internet was in the beginning of time, um, way, 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 way back in the 90s, you know, when Al Gore first created, invented the internet. I don't know if you guys are too young <laughs> to remember Al Gore creating the internet. But um, 
so yeah, way back in the 90s, the government came out and, you know, when the internet got started, it was a generally unregulated thing. And everybody was trying to protect the children under the guise of protecting children from porn and obscene materials. I can't remember the name of the other act. Um, there's another act that it literally was like a decency or I, I can't remember what it was, but there's another, there's a, there are a ton of acts out there that are designed to protect children from seeing obscene, you know, sexy material. I'm trying to see, I can't find them. I didn't even point them out here on my blog, but there, there's another big one too, another real big one that's there. So anyway, point is Congress tried to make a lot of moves. Remember at that time, you know, you had Newt Gingrich in the house. Um, Newt was a very conservative. Newt was the antithesis to uh, Slick Willie, to Bill Clinton. Newt was very conservative, um, morally conservative. He is still morally conservative today at the ripe, ripe age of 155 years old. I mean, I feel like Newt Gingrich has been around forever. He's probably morally conservative because he probably grew up with Jesus. So, anywho, um, so that was big in the 90s. Um, the House wanted to kind of like put a couple of protections in for the internet service providers. So, you know, when they codified um, what was the prevailing idea of the time with the case law, when they codified Section 230, when they codified the CDA, they put in these provisions that permitted internet service providers and other providers um, some immunity to liability if they were taking affirmative steps to per, to create technology to encourage parents to utilize um, blocking methods and tools to protect their children from the naughty images online. The We'll go through them a little bit later, but I mean, the big idea of this the big idea of this in the Section 230 back in the days, and this was challenged in court and this was redone. Um, and back in the days, the biggest idea was they don't want to interfere with free speech, but at the same time, they want to give parents the ability to control what their children are viewing online. And in order to do so, they needed, they believed the best way to do that was create incentives for big tech. Um, for the big uh, internet service providers, they would create incentives to them to develop technology that would enable parents to do this. So that was the biggest idea there. So that was the point of that. Um, at the time, you know, the the act was kind of a little bit of, the, the courts weren't really happy about the act. So there was a case that involved uh, Janet Reno and the ACLU. Uh, if I remember, Janet Reno was the attorney general of Slick Willie's uh, camp. Bill Clinton. She also was the one who called in for the Waco shooting, I believe, which was, <laughs> that was a fantastic, I, I, you know, sidebar, and not on my list over here, but sidebar, you might want to look up on YouTube Waco. Um, I, I genuinely believe Waco was one of the birth of the modern conspiracy movements, because watching federal agents run in there and blot a family the way they did, and a, a religious sect group, granted, you know, Okay, maybe they were a little crazy, but none of the allegations against them ever panned out. I don't know if that's because they never had the data. I don't know if that's if they were hiding it or if they just got all killed first before they were able to prove anything. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was a pretty big blunder for the federal government, and I'm pretty sure that started a lot. That might have started. That might that might have been the birth of Infowars, to be honest. I don't remember when Alex Jones started, but um, because I don't know if he started before I really started paying attention in the '90s. But he might he might have been he might have started from Waco. Um, that might or well, that might have prompt. I think two the two incidents that made him really popular were Waco, and then I want to say Ruby Ridge. 
um, well, no, Owl, Owl's Cove. We'll, we'll talk about these later on in the future. I mean, now everything's like just coming back to my head now because I haven't thought about these in a while. But um, Owl Grove, Owl's Grove Peak, something in California. Okay, anywho, so during Reno and the ACLU, um, the Supreme Court shot down the act outright before it was reintroduced. They said that the act, um, you know, any act that's restricting indecent transmissions and offensive displays is just simply to, sit, to couch it the way it did originally it was unconstitutionally vague and it was a violation of first amendment speech um any benefits derived from the cda's internet censorship wasn't able to overcome its detriment to the free exchange of information online according to the courts and the court also noted that you know the regulation of television radio and internet communications should not be treated equally like the internet because they had said that Assessing obscene material on the internet is very unlikely to occur by chance. What they were suggesting was that the internet should be freer. There should be no regulation of the internet. The internet should promulgate free speech um, simply because to see obscene material on the internet, you got to take more steps. You got to go to affirmative websites. You got to click links. You got to download videos unless nowadays you're streaming. I mean, it's, it was much harder back then. To I mean, it used to take you all night to download a four megabit porno and then someone would call on the phone and throw your, throw your whole thing right off until you got DSL. If you were lucky enough to get DSL, you were balling. But most people didn't have DSL. You had the stupid 56K phone line and you were very upset when somebody called while you were trying to download a four megabit porno video with uh, Gina Fine was the lady back in the 90s. So whatever, I digress. Those of you who are around the 90s know who Gina Fine was. You could leave, you know, you could send me an email and leave comments on that. So whatever, shut down, they redid it again. They added more things. They made some clarifications, section 230 to create this incentive to protect um, the service providers. So here we go. So, you know, Twitter bans, Facebook bans, here comes Lindsey Gramnesty, he complains, he gets frustrated, says we're going to start getting away, we're going to start throwing away Section 230. Um, so, that, I mean, that asks, that asks you a couple questions, right? So, I mean, that opens up a, a few questions. Number one, does it really invoke Section 230? So, if you read Section 230, the, uh, you know, the, the section, Section 230, they're really pointing to the Good Samaritan material. Um, it's saying that the provider of any internet or any interactive computer service um, if they take certain steps in good faith to restrict access or the availability of material that the provider or users consider to be obscene, lewd, excessively violent, or otherwise objectable on those terms, then any action they take could essentially shield them from liability. There's no, there's no civil liability for that. So, I mean, then that begs the question, because is what Trump said violent? Is what Trump said excessively violent? Is it tremendously obscene? Is it lewd? Is it filthy? Right? Um, there has been a lot of commentary on Twitter and Facebook. I myself have probably pushed a lot of mean things on Facebook on people. A lot of crazy things on Facebook on people. Especially if you're Governor Cuomo, you have been the recipient of a lot of vitriol from me online. Um, I wouldn't probably beat him up in real life too but i haven't had the chance to beat him up in real life and i don't feel like going to jail because my law degree cost me a substantial amount of money that took forever to pay off so i'd rather not be i'd rather not go to prison but that doesn't take away from the fact that i'd like to cripple him oh you know a lot of but question is did what trump say was really violent online i don't know because it's been taken off but i could tell you right now <laughs> twitter has a tremendous 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 history of permitting things like child pornography, um, sexual exploitation, sex trafficking, all kinds of nonsense on its platform. 
Um, I mean, like there's a, I, I believe there was a lady, her name was Haley McNamara. She was the director of the Internet Center on Sexual Exploitation in the UK. She served as the vice president of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. I mean, she is like the spearhead leader of the campaign against child pornography and this whole sexual violence and exploitation culture on Twitter. Twitter has a tremendously long history of that stuff, and they have never taken such steps to ban or block that. So, I mean, it, I mean, the inconsistencies kind of slaps you in the face, number one, right? Um, number two, that is probably the commentary and the behavior that the section is trying to talk about, not probably anything that Pump said. I, again, I don't know what he said, but I doubt it's anything. I doubt it was anything tremendously <laughs> hate-inspiring or even remotely on the level as what was what I know for a fact is on Twitter with the child with the sexual exploitation, child trafficking, etc. So, I mean, that's the first part, right? So, I don't even know if two thirty applies at all because I don't think what Pump said is excessively violent or incites violence. However, this raises a bigger question, and we, <clears throat> and this, this actually, I see this comment a lot, and I'd like to comment on this. This really was the point today. You know, you hear a lot, everybody, everybody and their mother's out there. Other attorneys, that's a private enterprise, and you, you cannot bring First Amendment claims against, you cannot bring constitutional claims against private enterprise. The Constitution does not protect the actions of a private enterprise. If a private enterprise wants to restrict you and do unconstitutional things to you, it can. Okay, guys, shut the fuck up, okay? Number one. I like we need to be it needs to be clear all right <laughs> all throughout history constitutional principles have been applied on private businesses a perfect example is slavery guys did we forget the 13 14 15 amendments look they those amendments say neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime, blah, 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 shall exist in the U.S. or any place subject to their jurisdiction, okay? Civil War. <laughs> of course, the, the principles of the Constitution were laid the smacketh down all over private businesses and plantations in the South, <laughs> okay? That's number one. I mean, there's obviously, there's more than that. I will tell you a more recent version of this. So let's let's look at involuntary servitude, right? So involuntary servitude in employment law today is defined as employment that is physically legally coerced. Involuntary servitude occurs, and this is all from the case law. This is verbatim language. Involuntary servitude occurs when a victim is forced to work for a person or an entity by the use or threat of physical restraint, physical injury, which includes through the threat of a legal process or coercion through a legal process or the use of fear of such coercion legal process. So I have, I can tell, well, let's just finish. So determining whether a person engages in particular work or involuntary servitude may include consideration of the absence or the miserliness of compensation. So if you're a cheap ass employer and you go below minimum wage, you're, and, you, and you use that in a way that coerces your employee to continue working, you are violating involuntary servitude. Oh, poor working conditions, taking advantage of the victim's special vulnerabilities, any of which may corroborate disputed evidence regarding the use of threatened use of such physical legal coercion. This is where it comes from. Involuntary servitude is prohibited. It is a constitutional principle that is prohibited. 
courts have discussed on numerous occasions that the, there is a real public policy stemming from the 13th Amendment against involuntary servitude that has been always applied on private entities. For an example, um, there's a couple of cases where, I mean, you have one case that's actually against um, a private contractor, right? I think the name of the company is called like Kellogg, Brown & Root, KBR. Um, so private contractors such as Kellogg, Brown & Root that are hired by the government to perform services overseas or sometimes in places like Guam, which are, I guess, like still territories of the U.S. just and they're still subject to the Constitution. Um, they've been cited on numerous occasions for forcing people to work against their will, being denied the ability to leave or even call home. So those guys have been getting cited for involuntary servitude cases, for violating rights. Now, other private workers... You see this a lot in a lot of private business with low-income people or people that hire um, immigration immigrants or others who have questionable ability to work in the states. Um, one company, uh, that source company Mazita, they had a situation where they were looking to hire cheap labor. They hired their cheap labor, and the cheap labor filed a class action lawsuit saying that they were basically working against their will and they were so nervous about being reported about their questionable tax and immigration status that that's why they kept working and they shut up they wound up having a class action against that tomato sauce company um i believe the case was settled out like most of these are <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is the court's been very 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 clear and it comes from and, and it comes from the language in food lion inc a recent case that the public policy of involuntary servitude is not exclusively derived from a state statute it's not exclusively derived from the FLSA the Fair Labor Standards Act no it is derived from the US Constitution the 13th Amendment ladies and gentlemen constitutional principles apply against private entities that's direct indirect Technically, every law that gets passed is supposed to be passed in the spirit of the Constitution. It's supposed to pass constitutional muster. If it doesn't pass constitutional muster, the Supreme Court shuts it down. Indirectly, every law that's out there is supposed to pass constitutional muster, and every law out there, rule and regulation, applies against businesses and private people. It happens. Like, we need to stop saying that the Constitution has no place in private business. That needs to stop. It is always there it will be there forever it will always have effect constitutional principles will always be asserted against private enterprises and will be done very often and you see it all the time in the context of the national and concept of free speech in a union in the concept of you know even private entities that don't have unions like food lion gl mazita they didn't have uh that suit that the tomato sauce company they didn't have a union they were just hiring regular bros and girls so it happens, and constitutional principles apply against businesses. But they, but this brings you back to the question, right? So, is there a First Amendment right to free speech on the internet, right? If you ask me, if and I went into this question totally um, objective. I didn't know. I I did the research. And I let my conclusion come from the research. Um, if you ask me, <laughs> I mean, it really depends on whether or not the internet is a public forum and free internet free platforms like um like facebook like uh twitter instagram these free platforms essentially are a modern public forum i'm surprised that the courts have not gotten up to it so quickly i mean the language is there in the court cases which is what made me come to this conclusion so i'm surprised i haven't got there quickly but i mean if you look at the case law right so 
The case law holds that the degree of First Amendment scrutiny, according to governmental, governmental, uh, governmental decisions limiting speech on public property, depends on you know the type of property in question. Is it a traditional public forum? Is it a government-designated public forum? Or is it a non-public forum? Um, a public forum is usually where you're going to find that First Amendment scrutiny, right? So a public forum defined in the case law is traditionally a place or medium customarily employed for public speech. A traditional public forum exists wherever people traditionally or commonly engage in public speech. When the term public forum is used without any other qualification, it likely means a traditional public forum. A speaker's corner in a public park, certain pavilions in the city, and a bulletin board for public use may all be established by custom as a public forum. Access to a traditional forum cannot be denied, traditional public forum cannot be denied because of the subject matter of the speech, although it may be limited in the reasonable regulations of time, place, and matter. Okay, so what that's telling you is that the subject of what you're saying on a public forum cannot be restricted. Reasonable restrictions of time, the times you could speak that subject matter, um, the places at which public forum you're able to speak that, and the actual, you know, con the actual content itself, which that refers to violent content, right? So like you can't, on a public forum, you can't go in there and say, okay, everybody, we need to go into this store here and we need to kill this guy because that's bad, that you don't do. So the idea is that a true, and again, all this comes from the case law, a true public forum enjoys free speech. True public forums are those which by long tradition or by government fiat have been devoted to assembly and debate. In those places, the government may not place a blanket ban on expression. The court, now here's where it gets tricky, people. The court has held that a public forum need not be spatula geographic. And the same principles are applicable to a metaphysical forum. The court has ruled that opening an instrumentality of communication for indiscriminate use by the general public creates a public forum. This was First Night Amendment versus Trump. Okay? So what is the court saying here? A public forum need not be spatial or geographic. It could be metaphysical. It could be an internet website. It could, be an in it could be a platform. It could be a public platform like... Facebook, a free one. Opening an instrumentality of communication for indiscriminate use by the general public, that basically means opening your platform for communication to be used by anybody, i.e. people who aren't paying, by the general public creates a public forum. What is Facebook? <laughs> what is Twitter? It is this free platform that you can sign up to. You can say whatever you want on there. It's a public forum, okay? Let's be clear. It is, a, it is a metaphysical public forum, according to the court. So if they are a true public forum, are they required to ensure certain guaranteed constitutional principles such as free speech? Well, if you pull directly from the case, well, then yes. Because if they are a traditional public forum where someone could just indiscriminately go on there, just like any other public area, and have their free speech, then it should be interpreted it should be considered to have to safeguard free speech right so this still won't get through to people who say um but they're a private entity in the law they're a private entity and, and you can't say that they have that free speech because they're a private entity even though they're opening up for people okay let's let's put it this way there are many private 
entities. There are many private administrators that are certainly under the guise of um, constitutional and public protections, right? Period. <laughs> so let's understand, um, while generally constitutional restrictions that bind state actors should not ordinarily bind private actors, you see this happen all the time. Okay, I mean, it has happens over and over and over and over again. Um, I will introduce you to Section 1983 of the U.S. Code. This allows individuals who have been deprived of their constitutional rights by private parties who act under state authority are permitted to hold those private parties accountable for those regulations you would hold against the state authorities. So in other words, if that private entity is doing something that a public entity should be doing, okay, whether it's by hiring them, whether it's by assigning them to it, if it's doing something that's supposed to expressly, purposely serve this public entity, it's got to get the same protections as the public. So if you look at the case law is, you know, set on numerous occasions, the character of a legal entity, whether it's public or private, is determined neither by its expressly private characterization or its legal characterization, but rather it's <clears throat> determined by its inseparability from being recognized from government officials and agencies. So let's put it this way. Maletti law is retained to serve it to clean a local to clean a, to clean a local park, right? People go to a local park, there's a spot for families to hang out with their kids and play and have a good time. There's a spot for public speakers if they want to sit on their soapbox and scream and yell. You know, Maletti Law has been hired to, I don't know, clean that place up, right? Been hired to maintain it, um, ensure that, govern the rules because we're the local body there. You know, we get security there. We do a lot of things. We maintenance it, right? Maletti Law is there. We, I don't know, we, somebody on my team doesn't like what someone's saying. They're talking about increasing minimum wage. You guys are communists. They grab them, they throw them out of the park. And then, you know, when someone comes and they say, oh, well, you know, we're just cleaning it. You know, they were just there at a clean time. And no, no, they were just there at a cleaning time. We basically evicted you and denied your access to the park because of your content of what you spoke. So we've stifled your free speech, essentially. Um, we, as a private entity, cannot rely on the defense. Well, we're a private party. We should, you know, your beef is against the city, not us. We're a private party. No, we're acting under the purview, under the guise of the government. So, therefore, the same restrictions apply to us. The same rules apply to us. As the court, in their terminology, has says, if there's a private company serving a purely public function, public forum function, they are acting as a surrogate for the government. <laughs> this is this has been the case in Luger and Edmondson Oil and DOT um, and the Association of uh, Amtrak. I mean, this has been the case over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, and and in some instances, it's really simple, right? Like Google. Google does a significant amount of business for the government. Since 2007, Google has been just basically serving all kinds of gigantic contracts for the federal government. I mean, endless contracts. I mean, believe it or not, it's my understanding, I could be wrong, but it's my understanding that a lot of Google services were specifically um, catered and designed to function for the federal government. 
but because you know they made it available to everybody everybody uses it we use like public free versions of it but i believe google earth um certain search engines and i actually believe g suite was a system designed for um use by the federal government and it was designed to i believe compete with microsoft office but hosted on google's platform so it was really catered to the federal government and google made a tremendous amount of money over the years from the federal government and they may be the exclusive provider of everything for the federal government right now so in that instance google as a contractor for the federal government providing services for their public entities needs to maintain the same kind of standards that you would hold a government entity accountable for they're uh i believe they're quasi qge i believe they're considered a qge a quasi government entity i actually believe that's the term so at least in that context right so i mean you, you need to un it, it <laughs> It needs to be clear, <laughs> like just because you're a private entity doesn't mean <laughs> that you can always rest on this concept that, oh, well, I'm private and there's no First Amendment. Nah, 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 nah. No, 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 guys, no, stop, stop. And every stupid freaking attorney that says that is a dumbass. Like they're ignoring the case law and they're pandering to their stupid buddies in the news that sit there and want to have some talking time on there. And they don't want to be real like here at Millennial Law, we don't give a shit. And we tell everybody everything. And we always take the... <laughs> I almost feel like we always take the freaking opposite stance on things. I don't know. We're, we're very unusual. We're very unusually motivated. So, look, big takeaways. Um, you know, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, uh, has a desire to keep the government... You know, has a desire to keep the internet free as speech as possible. Um, when it comes to guiding... When it comes to governing behavior, parents are responsible for ensuring that their children are watching proper material on the internet. It is not the government's job to make sure you watch proper material on the internet. It's the parent's job. Um, when companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter are entering into a purely private, a purely public function, into the um, public forum, they should be holding First Amendment. They should be ensuring or using best efforts to appreciate um, freedom of speech and First Amendment rights. The fact that they don't is terrible. Um, I don't think you need to sue them. <laughs> I don't care about that, but I do think that they just need to realize that this is something improper. And I think it's something that needs to be said from the government, from the legislature, or from somebody. I mean, interesting enough, like Pump actually a couple months ago, if I remember an executive order um, that he passed, actually, oh, excuse me. Oh, he actually he actually passed a government order, um, an executive order that actually was really um, in favor of big tech and extending freedoms to big tech and freedom of speech protections for them. So I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I don't know. Big tech is just they're on some they're they're they've gone wild. I don't know. They have gone wild. It's all part of this, you know, amalgamation, this unholy amalgamation between government and the private sector and big tech. Big tech is scary. And for all of you that think this kind of um, condemnation and censorship is is good you know you guys like it now because it's pump but believe me no one liked it when it was happening to Ob when Obama was doing it to people nobody liked it everybody was very upset but I mean you guys were quiet because it was Obama and, and nobody wanted to mess with the Messiah everybody loved the Messiah the Imam everybody loved them but um <laughs> you know it's this is pump you guys don't like them so he people don't like them some people do some most people most of the most the loudest people in the media don't and you know i hear that's not professional the yawning on online that's not professional the yawning right 
really not professional. Um, people don't like them. Um, I completely went over time. <laughs> there was I, I did want to talk about that detention bill. Um, completely forgot it. I'll bring it up on the screen now. I talk too much. I really need somebody to hold me accountable. Um, long story short, I really want to talk about that detention bill. The most frustrating thing about that, look at my blog. Um, the caption of the blog is just when you thought 2020 was over. Here's some forced detention in 2021 at Maledi Law. Um, the worst thing about this bill is the removal of persons that are considered potentially dangerous to the public health. Keep that in mind. It has not passed. This has apparently the stories that this is, uh, there's been a couple attempts to bring this to the legislature and get signed. It has not done it. But, I'm sorry. And I don't edit these out, so you're just going to have to deal with them. Um, next time I'll, I don't know, next time I'll snort some Adderall before I do this. But, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so this is a bad bill. Oh, look at my blog. It really sucks. I should, I'll have, I should have a part two, but I'm not, probably not going to. These things are taking too long to do. Um, okay. Third thing, fourth item, fine. Oh, in conclusion, A416 is bad. Okay. Don't use it. That's a quote from South Park. Please don't sue me, South Park. Um, I actually like your show. Um, another item real quick before I wanted to go, I thought it was, I just thought it was a very funny stat. So I am scrolling through like the pages, the news pages online, just see what's going on. Cause I'm still got to take my brain off of it, brain off of the nonsense of uh, the legal stuff. So I want to just dumb down and look at some news articles from some dumb news authors. Pretty funny. I did not realize the free fall that Fox News has had. Fox News has historically had fantastic ratings. Um, with the explosion of Newsmax and One America. And I, I think there's like one more online, one more, uh, news network. Um, Fox has taken a big hit. Uh, interesting enough, Tucker Carlson comes in at 3.4 million viewers a night, about. And I believe first place is actually Rachel Maddow at 5.1 million viewers a night um, on MSN, on PMSNBC. Um, so, interesting. <laughs> the Newsmax, I think the, the top other three that are not Fox, I think is Newsmax, One America, and there's one more. And their top um, person has i think about a little bit higher than six hundred thousand viewers every night each i think megan kelly might be on newsmax maybe that's what it is but even like Megan kelly has six hundred twenty six thousand viewers every night so the point is if you take those three viewers right the three largest viewers from the other networks which were probably people that used to watch fox that's 1.8 million viewers you add that to tucker carlson's 3.4 million you have 5.2 million viewers rachel maddow has 5.1 million viewers that's funny. That is because Fox has sold. I mean, I've always thought personally that Fox is not as right wing as people think they are. You have a couple of right wing pundits from like seven till ten. Okay, you have Tucker Carlson. I don't know who the other. Two, you have Sean Hannity, who are just just very frustrating. Um, but you have a couple of right wing pundits that are pretty aggressively right wing. But for the most part, Fox is, <laughs> in my opinion, is very liberal left leaning. Um, they're more rhino. They're more kind of like left leaning Republicans. They're more of uh, the John Roberts, you know, the, the centrist. There's no centrist at all. Like stop. This is America. There's no centrist. And I hate the I hate the moderates and the centrist. There's no moderate. There's no centrist. You there's only one stack. Just because you say you're willing to listen to somebody else doesn't make you a fucking centrist. Okay. I am a very very conserv fiscally conservative libertarian minded bro. I am very anti-government. There and I listen to all sides, and there is nothing censorist and centrist about me. I don't give a shit. 
I have been disgusted with the liberal left since 9-11. I'll never forget, like this, I'll never forget the stupid local politicians in 9-11 that have, wow, it's, oh, uh, well, what do you expect? And da, da, da. Yeah, what do you expect? You're involved in all these foreign entanglements. Yeah, bro, don't fly a building. I don't give a shit. Don't fly a building into my house. Two wrongs will make a right. And quite frankly, I don't give a shit. Look, there's one winner and one loser and we win. Okay, um, that's it. So I don't want to hear the shit. I have no time for that. And I don't care. I'm not, I, I don't care. So the point is Fox News has dug their own grave. And that is hysterical because numerically I can now count precisely how they fuck themselves. So that's pretty funny. Um, so look, this is it for now. I'm going a lot further than I had expected over here. I didn't want to go this far. I kind of wanted to have a little bit more in A416. I really need to have like a timer. And give myself 10 minutes per topic, but I'm pretty awful at timing. So I'm going to leave it here. So, you know, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for staying with me for the Millennial Law Podcast. Um, I certainly hope you sign on to the newsletter, uh, hang around, catch up on things with us. And I certainly want you to be a part of our ever-growing platform. Um, and, you know, we're going to leave off as we always do. Eat big, get huge, lift large. And when you die, you leave a gigantic casket behind. And always, always, always live unusually motivated. Yours in love, lifts in law. This has been Vinny Maletti with Maletti Law, the Maletti Law Podcast. Peace out. See you later.